Foodie Films is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey there, foodies, and welcome back to another episode of Foodie Films. Of course, this is your host, your chef de cinema cuisine, Kyle Reinfried. What's going on? What's happening? How are you? I hope you're all doing well. Quarantine still in full effect. Stay, hashtag stay home. Hashtag social distancing. Um, yeah, not much news on that front. Everything's, uh, I think, you know, people are... Some people are trying, some people aren't. But anyway, this isn't the uh, COVID-19 podcast, it's the Foodie Films podcast. Um, so let's see, what what's new in the food realm for me? Oh, I uh, last week I was safe, I was safe. And it's a quick drive now, because there's zero traffic. Drove from, you know, my place in Jersey City to the Beatrice Inn I ordered, uh, which is in like the, what is that, West, West Village uh, area. And so it was like an easy, like, 10, 12-minute drive. I ordered on Caviar. A lot of higher-end restaurants are now using that app Caviar for their menus for people to do some takeout. Um, and so I ordered that, what is it, 40, 45-day uh, dry-aged burger that they got. And, oh, boy, even as takeout and bringing it back to Jersey, it was delicious. It's got that Lafrida beef. You, you, you guys know. Come on. Pat Lafrida, he's, he's, uh, if Joey Lewandowski is the pod father for me, I mean, you know, Pat Lafrida, he's, 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 he's the, uh, I'm trying to think of the food father. Is that godfather, food father, pod father? I don't know. Does that work? Fod father? No, food father. That, that sounds a bit, that sounds better. Anyway, so yeah, Angie Marr, Beatrison, still just like grinding it out, doing a, Doing a great job trying to, you know, just keep some normalcy for us out there. Uh, but this episode, uh, I mean, if you're listening to it, you, you saw the picture for it. You know you know what movie we're talking. We're talking The Last Temptation of Christ. i got Brian Rodriguez, as I said before. I've got Michael Manzi, co-founder of the Cage Club Podcast Network. Um, also host of Third Times a Charm. And obviously, you know, Brian, High School Slumber Party, and my, uh, my co-host for P.S. I Still Love Hoffman, P.S. I Love Hoffman. Uh, this is a movie that, uh, as we'll tell you, we joke about all the time. Not in a making fun of way, but hey, who doesn't love doing Harvey Keitel accent? But anyway, um, Brian Rodriguez, again, 
host of High School Slumber Party, part of his show. If you've never listened to it, you got to listen to it. You should at least listen to the episodes I've been on supporting me, but you should listen to all of them because they're great. Uh, he, he gives little homework assignments here and there to keep up with the high school theme. And so I think I say it on air at the end of this episode that I gave myself some homework. So my homework was uh, Manzi was curious about like the history of Easter and, you know, like, like the bunny, the candy, and all that kind of stuff. So I did some deep diving, a.k.a. the first couple of links when I searched history of Easter candy. And so first I'll read a couple of things from uh, the History Channel website so we know that's credible, credible given all of their, uh, you know, alien documentaries and everything like that. So let's see. Uh, Easter traditions and symbols have evolved over time. Okay, this is all a bunch of... Easter bunny. Uh, the Bible makes no mention of a long-eared, uh, short-tailed creature who delivers decorated eggs to well-behaved children on Easter Sunday. But let's see. According to some sources, the Easter Bunny first arrived in America in the 1700s with the German immigrants who s- settled in uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, the Pennsylvania Dutch. Hey, look at that. The Germans with the, you know, Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Boy, they're good with the, the holiday mascots. Uh... They transported their tradition of an egg-laying hare called Osterhis, or Osterhaus. Sounds like Santa Claus, Osterhaus. Uh, their children made nests. Oh, so these kids thought bunnies laid eggs. Okay. Uh, in which the creature could lay its colored eggs. Oh, the sweet, lovable, dumb German children of the 1700s. Uh, eventually the custom spread across the U.S. and the fabled rabbit's Easter morning delivers expanded to include chocolate and other types of candy and gifts. Okay, um, Easter eggs, I mean, you know, like eggs are, I mean, this is saying it here, but I think I said in the ep- in the episode, you know, it's fertility and all that kind of stuff, so it's an ancient symbol of new life, uh, has been associated with pagan festivals, celebrating spring, from Christian perspective, Easter eggs are said to represent Jesus' emergence from the tomb, not the womb, the tomb of and resurrection. Okay. Uh, Easter candy. Easter is the second best-selling candy holiday in America after Halloween. Suck it, Flag Day. Uh, it doesn't say that on the website. I'm not taking a stance on Flag Day from the History Channel. Nor am I. So... Valentine's Day. There you go, all you idiots buying chocolate. Uh, Among the most popular sweet treats associated with this day are chocolate eggs, which date back to the early 19th century Europe. Uh, Yeah, same same stuff about eggs before. Oh, jelly bean, jelly bean, uh, became associated with Easter in the 1930s. Although jelly beans' origins reportedly date all the way back to biblical era uh, concoction called a Turkish delight. Okay, yeah, I've heard of Turkish delight. I don't know if I've ever had a Turkish delight. Uh, yeah, some stupid just say yeah, and then chick, you know, chicks and stuff like that. There's one other website I pulled up. It's called Basket Cases on Sav. Oh, that's the name of the article. It's on uh, Savor Saver. Um. Oh, this okay. This yeah. This this one made a bit more, bit more sense. Lent to the period leading up to Easter, so we're in Lent right now. Since if you're listening to it, the day came out because it's not even good, it's not Good Friday yet. Um, 
uh, yeah, Lent, the period leading up to Easter, is traditionally a time for penance and self-denial. Uh, it's I, my whole life is Lent then, uh, and there's nothing like the deluge of candy that arrives Easter morning to help compensate for those weeks of lost pleasures. Uh, Easter is a major candy holiday. Yeah, okay, this is the same stuff as the other one. So any other? Um, but it was only in the early 20th century when uh, innovations in candy making. Ooh, that you know, after the industrial Re- revolution, they were just like, "What are we going to innovate next?" Candy. Um, rabbits and ch- I. Uh, uh, there's nothing really. Since, yeah, nothing else really. I don't know. I love candy, so Easter was always like a, you know, it's good food, and the, and the candy. I love the Cadbury eggs, not the ones with like the, that, you know, you crack open and looks like the like an egg with the yolk and the cream. I like the solid chocolate ones. Those were like with the, you know, not crispy, uh, you know, the, the really the thick outside, and then just that good milk chocolate, although I'm more of a dark chocolate person these days. Those are really good. Peeps, you know, you would always uh, toss a couple of those in the microwave, see them expand and everything like that. Um, trying to think of anything else. Jelly beans, there was always these uh, jelly beans from, oh god, what was... I forget the name of the... Uh, my, mo- my mom, knowing my mom, she's listening to this and yelling at, at me right now. Uh, it's not Kinchley's, because Kinchley's is the thin crust pizza place that you don't guys don't care, but in Mawa, New Jersey. But it starts with a K, very German-sounding, so again, those, uh, they probably believe that, you know, rabbits lay eggs. Um, but yeah, they make homemade jelly beans, and those are always good. But I never liked the licorice ones. My favorite ones were the, uh, oh, the purple ones. They're like a lavender color, not lavender taste, but, oh, it's like, you know, it's like how everyone likes their own... Uh, specific starbursts and stuff like that. Uh, I like the purple jelly beans. Anyway, so I hope that was... Uh, if uh, Manzi and Brian are listening to this part of the podcast, at least, uh, that that was... I haven't done homework. <laughs> if you guys can't tell, I haven't done homework in quite some time. We're talking... Uh... I mean, way over over ten years now. Uh, you know, college. Do you have homework in college? You have projects. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so the Last Temptation of Christ, Scorsese. Oh, a little fun fact. Not fun fact. I don't know. I was just like a little <laughs> moment for me um, when I I edited these on Adobe Premiere and the sequence. Even though this is like what episode seventy two, three, or something like that. This, because of the new project that I opened up a while ago, point being, this sequence in Adobe Premiere was sequence 33, which is the age Christ was when he died uh, for our sins, sacrificed himself for our sins. So um, this was a very Christ-like experience for me, and it's in sequence 33. It sounds like a, it's like THX 1138. Anyway, The Last Temptation of Christ... Brian Rodriguez, Michael Manzi, doing Kaitel. That sounded really bad. That was a horrible Kaitel. Enjoy. I was going to go with my k k k k k Kyle Ryan Creed. 
Jesus, so, Jesus films. That's it. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Bopesis, Fanana, Fanana, Fofesis. Well, anyway, I'm here with Mike Manzi and Brian Rodriguez. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Brian, we spoke not too long ago on, on the, in, the po- in the podcast sphere. I, I'm pretty much the every other week Foodie Films co-host now. No, <laughs> He's your unofficial co-host, too? That's, that's it was just excellent. one week. Just one week. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I haven't been by in many meals. I feel like it's been a long time. My, since. Mike, so I was thinking that I was like, Mike, you haven't been on my show in a while, but you were on my show three weeks ago. Yeah, but this show, this show, oh, foodie film, food, and not everything's about you, Brian. No, but I, but what my point was that like these days, it feels like a day is three days. It feels like a week is like ten weeks. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah, just, you got that right. Time is just weird these days. I mean, it was Teen Wolf, which was great, and it was when a fox became a wolf, and then it was Hoosiers. <laughs> Hoosiers. <laughs> Kyle, do you remember the last yes, time? Yes, they're, they're talking it? about High School Slumber Party, Brian Rodriguez's uh, podcast, which you guys have heard about numerous times on Here Foodie Films. But yeah, uh, might as well be talking high school movies, because it's not like we're really talking a foodie film today. Mm. Would you say this is a high school film, though? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's closer to a foodie film. It's closer to, there's like lessons being taught. You're right. He is, um, he's like the ultimate teacher, right? Jesus. Yeah. Well, yeah. Kyle, I, my first note was like, it, I've been on your podcast a couple times before, and this reminds me most of my dinner with Andre. Because it's like a lot of philosophical mm. debates back and forth, kind of. For sure, and and it has Andre Gregory in it himself as John <laughs> it the does. Baptist. To the wow, surprise of everyone, call. Andre's in this film. So, Mike, we shouldn't have had you on. We should have had John Harden on to complete that uh, <laughs> era. So, well, I I mean, you can sign off right now. We this movie I feel has been like um, sort of a like. All right, like I feel like when I first met Brian and Kyle, when we first started hanging out a lot, and when we were working on yours, uh, your indie darling, like we kind of bonded over this movie in a weird way. I feel, and like that's it gave an, it gave me like an extra special place in my heart ever since ever since then. So like I kind of feel like when I think of this movie, I can't help but think of you guys and like freezing my ass off at like two in the morning, shooting your movie and like, just, just doing Harvey Keitel impressions. Like, <laughs> like, like Jesus, <laughs> why don't you build a table or a chair instead of all these crosses? What's wrong with you? Like, no, this really is, got yeah, me this, through it. <laughs> this movie is, this is one yeah. of those movies. And that, and that movie, by the way, is the last temptation of Christ. Uh, this is one of those movies that I feel like, when you get into the, we're not, we were making fun of it, but just like imitating again, Kaitel. And I mean, the reason that like, so it's like all the, all the Jewish characters have like New York accents and the Romans have British accents. And I'm not, I read this, like Scorsese said, he looked at the apostles as street guys. So yeah, we're this imitating is his these... gangster film, you know, yeah. basically that takes place way back then. This is a Scorsese and, film. This is almost, I said this to you, Kyle, this almost feels like a New York film, as weird as that sounds. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh definitely. And and so by what you were saying, Mike, is that it's one of those films that I feel like the the mythos, like just even the way that we were joking about it and, and doing the Harvey Keitel and extrapolating that like imitation and going 
like almost like into like a Looney Tunes mm-hmm. category. Yeah. It felt like sometimes, you know, because you watch it, it's not that crazy, but it is. But at the same time, yeah, having Harvey Keitel as Judas and just Harvey Keitel with you know, yeah. Just well, as, it, it, <laughs> no, if you're just watching this like for fun, it it's weird, right? But like if you're watching this with an artistic like Scorsese esque lens, it makes more sense. So yeah, yeah. but again, we're. This is a foundational film in all of our friendships. It's important to us. And by the way, I don't know if you mentioned it's almost Easter. Exactly. Yeah. Happy Easter, guys. Oh, happy Easter. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> if you're listening to this the day it came out, uh it's two days before Good Friday. Oh, okay. But yeah. That's pretty so, good. So <laughs> uh there's not many there's not many there's not really there's not even like a lot of Easter movies. And then Easter food, but in the end, as we've all, uh, as we've said separately, I mean, this is a movie involving one of the most important meals of all time, that, the Last that's, Supper. That's true. Yeah. So, um, and and like you know, I I I if I come across of like making fun of this movie, it's out of love. I this I'm, this movie is amazing. Like I've always liked this movie. Um, I remember when I first started like. Yeah, let's quote, talk about that. Let's yeah, talk like about when, when I first all... sort of quote unquote started studying Scorsese, you know, and went back and was like, I got to watch everything he made. This really blindsided me. I was like, huh. But then you get into like, you know, the history of Scorsese and how he almost became a priest and he's super religious and like every one of his movies, not every one, but like he did sort of a string of movies that were very similar. They all just sort of took place in different times with different people, but they were kind of this. It was sort of the same kind of feel as this, I feel. So it made a lot of sense once I started watching it that he made this movie. And then I'm not very religious whatsoever. Uh, And, you know, this is like, I love the idea that this is a fictionalized sort of uh, based on Jesus and the Bible, kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. It's I mean, it's the, he not, makes it a clear point to say not based upon the gospel. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I really loved that aspect of it, like taking the character of Jesus and like putting him in like maybe situations he was never in, or just working with that. And yeah, I feel like this movie for me is very successful on a whole lot of levels. Now it's notoriously miscast. Like, that was one of the big things, like, I mean, there's other sort of controversies surrounding the making of this film. Um, You know, people tried to get it banned. People tried to stop them from making it. No one wanted this because they thought it was blasphemous and all that kind of shit. And, like, no one in Hollywood wanted to, you know, fund it and all that kind of stuff. But for what it is, man, I think it's it's great. And this is about the fourth time I've watched it all the way through. And uh, I just had a blast sitting there watching it this time, waiting for certain lines and moments and things. And Willem Dafoe was amazing so yeah here we are how about you brian do you remember like the first time you saw it or the first time you really digested it well mike i think we we just talked about this when we did hoosiers on my podcast where um when netflix first came out and we had that famous cue where yes uh, kitties if you're listening to foodie films today netflix wasn't just a streaming service it was a service that delivered discs and i know you can still get them kyle doesn't your roommate still get like the discs from netflix I think so. He definitely was in like recent time. Yeah. yeah, which I was like, what? They still do that? But that was how Netflix got started. You put a list of films on their website and they would send you one film at a time, one film at a time. And this is when I was really coming into my film age, if you will. And I put a list of films that I wanted to see, but I never got to see. This was on there and I really enjoyed it at the time. Um, I've seen it from time to time since then, but maybe not. It's in an it's an entirety. This time I watched it, and 
I'm just going to, you know, maybe spoil the entire podcast, but I loved this film this time. It was, it's made just so well. It's so misunderstood by, I think, both sides, both the religious and the non-religious. It's based on a book that I kind of want to read now. And, I mean, ooh. <laughs> okay. Also, <laughs> well, it's yeah. <laughs> also, it's just like again, it, it, it's so important to our friendship, <laughs> as you said. Just we used to just do that Harvey Keitel all the time. His uh, red-headed, curly-haired. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, and his his is some of the hardest to do an impression of. Is Harvey Keitel is really hard. So like, it's mostly just being like, it's mostly just like, like Jesus, what's wrong with you? And like, Jesus, yeah, get up! Like, Whoa, Jesus, what the Why hell? Why are you making crosses? <laughs> exactly, build a ladder for once. What's wrong with you? You're betraying your own kind. Like, yeah. it's just let's go get yeah, a sub. Like, <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we make it over the top. But like you said, I mean, so, I mean, well, okay, so for me, I, I first saw this definitely during college, and I um, I think I, I think I like, rented it from, like, the library at, at Ramapo College, and uh, just because I was on a real Scorsese kick after watching, I think, like, Raging Bull, and and not for the first time freshman year, but, like, that was the first time, like, I really appre- appreciated it, Kyle, so I was like, okay, let me... That's when that? that's when we all were, like, I mean, at least me and you and, like, people we know were just like, let's watch every Scorsese, like, Boxcar Bertha, let's go, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, like, get whatever our, we could get our hands on, like, at that point, the Scorsese I knew was was even more so like sure I I knew Taxi Driver and like that was like the that was like the only like old film of his that like I really knew and, and I'm, that's not including like I, at that point I wouldn't have considered Goodfellas an old movie of his back in like 2005 even I mean that's like 15 years later but point being like I knew Goodfellas but then I knew what we were experiencing in high school which was like uh, Gangs of New York The Aviator The DiCaprio years. Yeah, exactly. The more, yeah, the more the DiCaprio years. So, yeah, this is when I was like doing a deep dive, and by all means, I, 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 I do love this film. I, I do think maybe it would help if I knew a bit more of like, I, I wasn't a good Catholic growing up and didn't really pay attention in CCD, and I'm sure maybe, maybe I would appreciate it a little bit more if I just really knew the story yeah. and just obviously then how this diverts off of that. I mean, I definitely do. I'm much more intrigued later in the film when we get the alternate story. That, yeah, that's, that's my favorite part of the movie is, is that sort of side. The, la- that, the last temptation. The part, 30 minutes yeah. at the end. Exactly. Yeah. Which isn't, you know, that is the DV. I think that is the biggest deviation from the gospels and the Bible and everything. But, but like, that's, Really, what I love about this movie is, you know, uh, just the portrayal of Jesus is not what you usually... I mean, maybe it's like new age Jesus for the time, right? Like, that's kind of how it comes across with the Phil Collins music and, you know, like, the, it's the way that the foe is portraying him and stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's something I do think, I wrote that down, I do think it helps. Like, um, I, I went to Catholic college, but I also studied a lot of religion, not just Catholic faith, but other faiths in college, just as part of my overall curriculum. Um, it does help to know the story of, of 
Jesus, but, uh, I, at least what the Bible tells you, you know. I, I think this does a good job, too, of sort of hitting some of the greatest hits moments, though. Like, it doesn't, we don't meet every apostle one by one, right? Like, that you have to go to the Bible for. But you get John the Baptist moment, you get Lazarus moment, you get him being tempted in the desert moment, you know, you get the passion, the crucifixion, right? You get, like, some of the most well, maybe for me at least, these were moments that I... Um, like knew about just through osmosis, right? Just from like being alive and like hearing about things and like just absorbing by not really going to much church and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. this wasn't it, like it, the... it's kind of like an intri- introductory or like a gateway sort of like version of it, where it's like, look, if you like what's here, like you could go way deeper into every one of these. Like, like the the Sermon on the Mount is just like sort of thrown away in this movie for a minute, and you're like, wait a minute, did that just happen? And it's like, well, if you really want the the full dirt, you know, you go, you can go back to the book or something. What this is, simple, simple, simple. This is Jesus fanfic. This is Bible fanfic. <laughs> it's true, though. Especially, though, you're right when he turned into the vampire. Like, that was <laughs> glorious. No, but th- this is... um, This was a time, not so much the movie, but the book was coming at a time when, like, religion wasn't as uncool as it is today. You had, like, a lot of uh, musicals, right? Like, Godspell and... Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, you Jesus know? Jesus Christ Superstar, I was yeah. thinking of the Philip Seymour Hoffman role in Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's something where... Um, it, You're Judas. <laughs> it wasn't maybe as, like, taboo to do, like, a Jesus movie as it was today, but this certainly isn't, um, I don't know if you guys have seen or like heard of, they kind of air it sometimes like around Easter Jesus of Nazareth, which is done by like an Italian director. It's really long and it's really like, let's do everything that ever happens in the Bible. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's four days long. (laughs) That doesn't happen here. (laughs) We don't get like the stations of the cross and things like that. This is purely a Jesus alternate universe novel slash film. And I love it because it doesn't, it does one of these wonderful things that I'll like compare to even like the Colbert Report when that was out. <laughs> like the Colbert Report, right? For conservatives, conservatives loved it because it kind of said what they were saying in a more humorous way. And liberals loved it because it was kind of making fun of conservatives. Yeah, this film definitely, like, yeah, helps out. But I mean, well. No, people, I mean, it seems like devout Catholics were just not in favor. Okay, right? but I, I want to clarify that at the time, right? So the book yeah, at w- the time. was highly controversial. That's why they did not want it to get adapted as a movie, because it showed Jesus taking lovers and doing all those kind of things. But you guys, you know, when you watch it, I know you guys aren't oh, yeah. religious people jesus but, smashes in this movie i forgot that's right yeah like this is i mean this is the most <laughs> blasphemous thing i'll ever say recorded this is arguably better than the bible in terms of <laughs> convincing me to follow the teachings of jesus yes see this is another reason i love this movie is because it's it's like a it's like philosophy like mm-hmm. that's what it sticks to. It's like it doesn't. It's not so much about the actions and stuff. It's about the teachings and the philosophy and what he's saying and the arguments in this movie and the conversations and stuff. It's almost like watching a very serious version of The Good Place or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And and those are the things you know that are sort of like the truths of of Jesus. There's like his teachings and stuff. And like that's what they stuck to. It's like the rest they made up. But it's like. 
you know, if you focus on the core, it's all still there. So they, you know, I understand why people got upset, but like, in reality, like, this is what Jesus is all about. Like, you should be able to sort of like, you know, uh, relate to him as, as best as you can. Right. And this is one way that I relate to him. I think the best is through this movie, which is absolutely this movie. Definitely. It's, I, I should I should have been more specific with writing down like the times of the movie like when like what exactly you know his story his journey happened when but I mean we're we start off with this Jesus that is rarely I, I feel like at least talked about again just for I mean I'm going from the perspective of someone that you know didn't study Catholicism but you are the Irish really... one in the room so. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but you know, so in the beginning, he's building crosses for Jewish people to be crucified on, right? Yeah, that's not in the Bible. Yeah, and that's not, yeah, that's not, that's not in the Bible. So, I mean, while we, like, what's said in the Bible as far as that's showing him being a carpenter. Yeah. And not being, and then what, Judas is sent there to, to kill him, pretty much for the most part. He's, he's Judas the hitman. Well, that's so, what I think they, that I think they changed for the book, right? Because to my understanding, uh, Judas was tempted towards the end. Like, he was always a devout follower. So, like, I'm not even sure, but I love how it plays that Judas was, like, a hitman. He's, like, literally a button man. <laughs> like, he's Tom Hanks in The Road to Perdition, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of this is not based on, obviously, the Gospels, but it's based on, um, how can I put it, tradition throughout the years. There is a tradition that says... Judas was a revolutionary. This was a historically, this was a very revolutionary time in the history of Israel. Obviously, they were a reluctant Roman province. There was a lot of revolutions. The temple, as I mentioned, would actually be burnt down by the Romans around this time, a little bit after. So it's not as far fetched to consider Judas or Jesus's peers to be quite revolutionary. You know, from a historical standpoint, not necessarily a religious standpoint, it's not that crazy. Uh, to imagine now Judas has been depicted in many interpretations as like a very different character like in Jesus of Nazareth for example he's actually as you're saying Mike pretty sympathetic until the end but in other depictions he has been depicted like this the red hair comes from medieval depictions believe it or not of Judas because people didn't like redheads and Judas was you know Benedict Arnold before Benedict Arnold so they kind of assumed (laughs) He had red hair. It's, there's no historical fact beyond this, but that's <laughs> based it. on this. The, that's interesting. That it's like an amalgam says of he all different versions. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually like it's weird to say, but like it actually seems like a quite fun book because it takes a lot of like these just um, traditions and things that could have been. Another big one that we'll see a lot in this film is Mary Magdalene in the Bible is never mentioned as a prostitute. But this is a tradition that has kind of gained weight a lo- th- throughout a, a, time, and a she's lot. a bi- yeah, yeah, she's a big prostitute in this film. <laughs> yes, she's definitely. I mean, she, we see her in the brothel and all and all, all that. But yeah, so the book was written. I'm looking at it now it was first published in 1955, but then it was published in English in 1960. So that's even like, I mean. Yeah, it's a very contemporary like book, you know, and I think that goes back yeah. a little bit into the vibe I was getting, like, this feels a little stranger in a strange land to me, if you ever read that book, where the, the word grok sort of came from, but like, there's a, 
pretty philosophical sort of new age book of the time about a Martian that is, well, a human that was born on Mars and then brought back to Earth and they become sort of like a space Jesus. Um, and, and I got a lot of that from here when he comes back from the desert and, and he's got his followers and he's sort of like super Jesus, you know, and they're, and they're going to the wedding and they're like, hey, she can't come in. And he's like, who says she can't come in, you know? And it's like, <laughs> I never heard of this Jesus except for in this movie, you know? And I love how assertive he is. And when he's like, we're gonna, I'm gonna baptize all of you. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, in fire. Fire. Like, oh. <laughs> I was like, and, and his friends kind of being like, dude, we should probably get out of here before they kill you. And, and him being so defiant, like, this is so good. Like, this humanizes him more for me than, you know, stories I've heard before of him being, like, much more pacifistic or something. Yeah. Brian, I, I recently, or, yeah, the episode came out. Uh, I recently guested on the substitute mm-hmm. for your podcast, and I and we we were saying that how that's almost like you know if Tom Berenger's character from Platoon survived, <laughs> th- this is this is Elias from Platoon in a certain <laughs> a weird kind of uh, way. Yeah. This will this is definitely Willem not Defoe. Bobby Peru. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> But I mean, so let's let's I mean, because it's really it's this the weight you know, the weight of this film is on uh, Willem Dafoe's shoulders. I feel like, and so let's 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 kind of talk about him because I he's definitely I mean, if this film is considered to be miscasted, I think he's I think he's terrific in it. Yeah, oh, I, I think I like I him. Think, yeah, I think he's great. I just think miscast in the sense that like he's he's not like your traditionally handsome Jesus, right? Like he's a, he's a very sort of, you know, I don't want it. You know, I think he, he's good because he's a very kind of awkward looking dude. He's like one of those guys, right. As a very, yeah, he has lizard like features. You can say it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he is here because he's a great actor. Like he is killing this role. Like it's, it's like, I, I, I love his shift and the change in his attitude from before he goes to the desert and after I love, all that 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 final extra act is like some of the, my favorite stuff ever. When we get old Jesus and everything, and 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 that entirely different sort of way he's playing him then, through those years, like he's just like on fire in this role. Yeah, it's great. And yeah, probably not. You know, you watch it now and it's like, no, he is not miscast. No, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I know you said he's miscast. I don't consider this film miscast today on this watch. I think it's like perfectly cast, even Harvey Keitel, because well, I still I don't know. (laughs) Okay, here's my argument. Here's my argument for it. Like at the time, and even when I watched this film, absolutely no way does this film make sense. But you understand, like you know, Kylie brought up Martin Scorsese very religious guy i've always felt a connection to him because like my mother grew up blocks away from where he grew up different age groups but when he was shooting mean streets he was shooting it like when my mom was growing up on those same streets but this is not someone who's trying to okay backtrack a little but like you know you brought a platoon oliver stone right like when he makes nixon or w or films like that he's not He's not like, oh, I like this president. He's trying to show that these people are, you know, he's got a very distinct point of view, Oliver Stone. Well, yeah, yeah, he shovels propaganda. Like, that's his. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel like this I film does saying. a good. Yeah. I feel like this film does a good job of 
in compared to other films like Passion of the Christ that definitely incited certain people, you know, yes. to then bl- put the blame on, you know, Jewish people for mm-hmm. everything that happened. This, it's just like, it's pretty down the road of just making, I mean, even like showing that like Judas was listening to Jesus and did that for a purpose at Jesus' request. And then even when we get David Bowie explaining the Roman side oh of things. God. Well, so, you know, um, that's what's, well, it's so interesting. Like this whole conversation is blowing my mind for some reason, but like, it almost feels at some, to some degree that there's a level removed here where they they know they're making a movie and they know we're watching them make this movie and everything. And even at the end of the movie, the film f- runs out of the gate of the, you know, w- you, you could see it like, at the end, like the light comes into the gate of what, and it overexposes the film and everything. And it's like, see, you've been Which watching is the movie. Which is the craziest the thing ever that that happened at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think this, I think this movie has that level of self-awareness to it right and i don't think a lot of and and maybe it doesn't but i get a sense that it does um and i think that helps digest it easier to say like um this is this is a story like this is just a movie these are just people like this is you know this isn't any different if you want to you know compare this to die hard you can do that now because it isn't a movie you know like there's something about it sort of taking the sacredness away from the stories of the Bible and Christ and and people saying these, you have to go to a certain place. You have to go to a church to learn this. You have to read a book to learn this. And this is saying like, look how accessible this can be to everybody. Um, So like, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't feel like a hit job in any way, you know, on Jesus in the way that like maybe passion kind of did to some people or, you know, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I, I think that this plays really well these days, maybe even better than when it first came out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this film is so ahead of its time. And just to you know, circle back to the Harvey Keitel thing, it's weird. It takes me out of it. I get all that. But I finally, maybe I'm just mature enough now, but I finally understand exactly what Scorsese was trying to do here. Which, uh, Kyle, what were we on recently where we were talking about this in terms of Oh, it must have been Hoffman, right? Yeah, yeah, Schuler, of course. <laughs> Schuler. Where it's like Schuller. too many movies do just like blanket British accents for everyone to seem like this. It was like old timey. Oh, yeah. This does the opposite. And I was watching, I was like, holy shit, this is so much better to like just show. Like, I don't need, like, as you mentioned on that episode, like the whole Valkyrie thing of like, you know, Germans with British accents. This is, I, I get it. There's almost a tradition here being upheld as far as certain actors and certain types playing other types and stuff. Like Edward G. Robinson was in the Ted Commandments, right? And he's like, saying, he's like, yeah, Moses, hey, she, <laughs> like, for real, like, go watch that shit and stuff. So, like, it, it's you know, it's acceptable. I, I that for me goes along with the idea of like, these are you know, it's it's. It's helping me realize that these are actors doing a play or making a movie. And so they're not trying to hide that, right? It's not trying to be that realistic about it. You know, like, um, not recently, but at least in the last 10 years, they've been doing, like, more realistic. Like, there's a realistic King Arthur movie, and there's, like, a realistic other kinds of stuff. That wasn't this either. You know, it wasn't, like... Oh, let's try to make everything like hyper realistic so people get it as well. I think you hit the nail right on the head, Mike. Like, P- 
people, the film is self-aware that it's not a hundred percent of like a realistic uh, depiction of might of what might have gone on, but it also doesn't treat itself as legend, like like no. Jesus of Nazareth the, or great the greatest story ever told. You know, a a lot of Scorsese's films. I mean, obviously, a lot of films for you know filmmakers are personal films, but his. I mean, so this. I'm looking. This came out in 1988. Before this, it was The Color of Money, and the next, uh, you know, as far as feature films go, uh, and then the feature film after this was Goodfellas. But I mean, just you know, the early on, if if you're you know well acquainted with Scorsese, just his earlier run of um, Boxcar, Ber- you know, who, who's that knocking at my door? Boxcar, mm-hmm. Boxcar Bertha, Mean Streets. Uh, Taxi Driver, even then to New York, New York, just those personal films and that cityscape that he grew up in and just the devout Catholic that he is. I was reading a a review that Roger Ebert did, I think, 20 years after this came out. Yeah, that'd be like 2008. Yeah, that sounds about right. And... you know, rewatching it and digesting it. And I think he talked to Scorsese again, or he even said after he saw this print um, in England and he was told that he can't like go tell anyone that he saw it there because they were afraid people were going to go and like find it and burn it. Uh, and then he wow. was, br- then he was brought to New York and went to Scorsese's like, you know townhouse apartment or whatever and there was security there and they checked him and everything like that and then he had a conversation with scorsese and just throughout the conversation then they were you know they're friend friendly enough and he said that scorsese even believed you know he just he, he had been through a lot in his life already through a, like a coke addiction divorces and he he truly believes that he's going to hell because he's been divorced like that is just an firm belief Jesus. And so, yeah. so he was like, oh. <laughs> and he's like, I'm already going. I might as well just, <laughs> well, no. Well, so I think when he, I have no idea. I, I haven't read any information on when he first read this book, but I know that this was, it was supposedly, you know, like, in just like reading like IMDb stuff, it was on his desk for about five years. And a lot of people were like, I don't know. Like, you, you know, like maybe, you know, cause it was a book that, incited a lot of you know anger and stuff like that so i you know like i'm looking like he made color of money and that's you know that's a very good film it's a good movie I, I think a guy just... by the name of tom cruise <laughs> might be in there yeah hmm. it's also like a very non-offensive film right yeah and so i think he just kind of i don't know i mean because it's color of money before that's after hours before that's king of comedy before and then before that raging bull so i i almost say that like Raging Bull was, you know, like, you know, as far as, like, New York, Italian, like, I think, just even, and just the religious stuff that comes with the Scorsese film, I felt like it was just kind of, so it was sitting there, and then it was just time for him to make it, and again, it just, he, he made it, and whether it's just from the book material, or also where he's coming from, I think he just created this film that was in the you know looking at it now, it's pretty down like the middle of the road, I think as far as actually being off- offensive or or yeah. 
or or you know arguing like yes catholicism is right and you know versus judaism versus what the romans were doing what have you like it's thematically like it is just a story about a guy that's trying to preach peace and love and but he is questioning himself and he's being tempted and uh yeah, I don't, it's, it's I, from, from that aspect, I love this movie. Yeah, it's strange. Like, to me at times, like, I think about that. Like, did, why hasn't Scorsese ever gone back and done so? And he kind of has. Like, he went and he made Kundun. Uh, Age of Innocence yeah, is not religious, but, like, it's a, certainly a period piece. Like, you know. And then Silence. And then yeah. Silence, Silent. yeah, right? Yeah. And that was very recent. And, Kyle, we sat through that in theaters. Uh, like, yeah, that's that longer rough. than this. Um, but, yeah, you know, I don't think he. It's interesting, like, I don't think he necessarily... I think what might have happened is, you know, we... This might have flopped or failed much harder than we can probably comprehend, you know, especially in his own eyes, right? So he really kind of went back to what he could do best, what he knew he could do best, and look what he did. He fucking excelled. He made one of the... He made a perfect film with Goodfellas, right? Like, so... Yeah, and I'm just glad that, that his, he had the uh, you know instincts story. here while he had them that he used them, you know. And it just seemed like if he was, didn't do it then, he may have never done it. So, I'm just glad it's it, it, in it, glad it is in existence. Yeah, there, there's there's a very I feel like a very close chance that this is his. Uh, what he's always been saying he's wanted to do a Teddy Roosevelt movie, a Sinatra movie. You know, like, there's those certain films that you've heard that he said that he's wanted to make. And I feel like this is right there, like that, like you said, it's great that it was made, but it, it almost could have been on that list. That he's like, oh, yeah. I know, because, like, otherwise we would have had to wait till this year, right? He probably would have made it instead of The Irishman. You know, and it's like, it just kind of <laughs> felt like that kind of project. Like, he seems like that kind of filmmaker now where he's just like a Kubrick ish kind of dude where he's getting too much in his head or working on pre-production not too much but just like a lot we're like you know excessively in things and you know i understand the irishman had a lot going on there you know to do uh so just hopefully whatever he does next like just he kind of i don't want to say rushes through it but like you know thinks acts a little more on like instinct or whatever than like technology anymore who would have played jesus and I'll say Judas as well now. Well, you still it. get or Willem the foe when you de-age him digitally. And de-age him? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> hmm. Brian, is there any young stud in a high school movie that you think would be a good Jesus? Let me think. I, that's a hard question. I don't know because Willem Dafoe is not your traditional Jesus, but he's traditional enough where it's not like weird. You know, he's not like. I'm, I'm oh, not, yeah, we don't have I'm, fat Jesus, is, right? Yeah, there's like, not is, fat is, is, Ryan, is Ryan Gosling playing Jesus Maybe. in some movie? Well, there Maybe. you go, yeah. But there's I no, mean, like, like it's know. not like a black Jesus or something like that. I'm not I see, like, Oscar Isaacs would be good. Oh. You know, just, just in, as far as, like, great actors oh. right now. <laughs> oh, that is the best thing I've heard in a long that, time. That is so honestly, good. Honestly... Jesus or Judas, he would be. Either about way, eyes. yeah. But I, I want it for Jesus. I want it to be the lead in this film. And what? And what new uh, hip musician would be? Pont? Was it Pont? Pontius? Pontius Pilate. Pontius um, Pilate. There we go. Well, I was gonna say uh, Mary Magdalene kind of has Post Malone tattoos, but <laughs> oh, on the face and stuff. And <laughs> but he couldn't be Pontius Pilate. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. Oh, God, I wish I... At one point, supposedly, Sting was going to play Pontius Pilate. Yeah, and who was the original Jesus? 
Um, someone different. Oh, well, I know Jeff Bridges wanted to play Jesus. Oh, no way, man. <laughs> I think he was just coming <laughs> off of, like, King Kong or Tron yeah, or Yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> I, I forgot the original Jesus and Sting dropped out when the budget got cut. Oh, I wonder if Sting... Oh, this might have been after Dune, but, like... And, yeah, and then he said, don't stand so close to me. <laughs> Relevant. Relevant. <laughs> Oh, that's a good question, Kyle. I might have to come back to you on that one. Like, who would? But I think Oscar Isaac is Jesus. That's that's so on on. It's the kind of inspired, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica Chastain, maybe as Mary Magdalene, dye her hair. It's fine. Um, because I need Jessica Chastain and all my. Movies. I want to get Jack Black in there somewhere. I don't know why. I've been watching a lot of him <laughs> lately. But like, where could we sneak him in and just be like? He could be John the Baptist. He could be like, look, Jesus. I would just think of that <laughs> really bad Harold Ramis movie, Year One. Oh yeah. Like just, oh like okay. Well, I think of him uh, the good years or the good days. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like a weird period piece sure. that he's like in like loincloths and stuff. I, like, I always get. <laughs> Well, he'd, be, he'd have help. He'd be great at helping to fight the devil, right? Because he does it in Tenacious D so much. Oh yeah, I, I always get uh, not the, the movies, but the titles confused of um, Year One and that epic film that also flopped, Ten Thousand BC. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Aiden Quinn, right? Aiden Quinn, yes, Aiden Quinn. Oh, I'm looking really? at. It's, it, so, offer, okay, I'm reading, when the film was finally greenlit, greenlit in the mid-80s, Scorsese offered the role of Jesus to Aidan Quinn, who had initially been cast during a previous attempt to make the film. Okay. Scorsese then considered Eric Roberts, Christopher Walken, <laughs> before casting Willem oh, Dafoe. Dude, Eric Roberts. Weird. That'd be interesting. Yeah, Eric Roberts would have just, like, added to that, like... Jesus. Like, come on, gangster level. Go on the cross. They took my cross. But could you imagine? My thumbs, Charlie. I'm on the cross. But imagine walking as Jesus. How weird would that have been? Like, oh, yeah. Like, crucified. Guy in the cross. Going to baptize you in fire. Yeah. I'm going to die for your sins. I don't know how to make crosses. <laughs> this is our new thing. Like now, now, like we always did Kaitel before, and now it's just walking in temp- last temptation. Well, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like this bread was <laughs> up mean, your father's ass. No, <laughs> yeah, for up, two years. <laughs> you bring up, yeah. Where's Joe in this movie? I was gonna say you bring up bread. Like this is you kind of were saying this is not a foodie film. This is a foodie film. There's plenty of foodie scenes at least. Yes. Kyle. There's, not there's a whole two lot. big ones. There's you know? three. Yeah. There's three. Oh, okay. I'm, what's the one I missed? There's okay. the wedding, which is where we get the classic meme of of Willem Dafoe. The, the amazing, yeah. Oh, by the way, I know. So foodies out there, before when Brian, Mike, and I were discussing this, the GIF game on this movie is fantastic. Oh, the GIFs! <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, the GIFs are amazing. <laughs> okay, so yes, there is. The, turn- the toasting, right? The Defoe holding up the chalice. Well, that's yes. the la- that's the Last Supper. No? no, the Last Supper is at sort of towards like the hourish mark, oh, right? I- Where- yeah, the Last Supper is just when he's explaining like this bread is my body. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we blood. have that scene, and it oh, looks yeah. more like matzah than you know like white bread. I don't know. Well, they white they are was they sliced are ha- bread invented back then. I don't know. They are having Passover, and Passover don't you yes. have to use matzah and bread I without? Believe. Yeah. Um, yeast, so that makes sense. Okay. Um, 
Uh, what toasting? Yeah, and so the the one that we're the one that we're saying is when he says to uh, I forget which apostle it is, just like oh that's wine over there. He's like no, I brought that in myself. That's oh, wine. Like, Go check. That's yeah, the wedding at Can- the wedding at Cana. Yeah, yeah, that's um a famous miracle. Technically Jesus's first miracle, non chronologically nice. in this film because he went to that wedding with his mother in the Bible, I believe. But you know it, it works better here. I just love how badass. He looks in that scene, turning water into wine, and just like he—I posted the gif right. He's just like mm-hmm. toasting the cup, yeah. and he's just so like gangster. this depiction of it is more like, you see, motherfucker, I can do these miracles. You know, it's more like, <laughs> you know? well, see, the, the, I got a moment like that on the other end where, um, where was it, Paul, who's played by. Um, Oh, Harry Dean Stanton, right? Harry Dean Wait, Stanton. Where yeah. he goes over to uh, Merc Lazarus and kill him for the second time, and they're explaining that Jesus, like, they're never going to let Lazarus live. Like, it sounded just like, you know, Casino or something like that. Well, yeah, right? it sounded like that or it sounded like Johnny Boy and Mean Street. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was great. It's like, they're never going to let Lazarus live, Jesus. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. You're fooling yourself. But then the, just the whole thing that they were covering up a miracle. But that, you know, he's not... Like, he flaunts it, and I love that, you know, because you always hear, like, oh, like, you're not supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to flaunt your shit or whatever, but here's Jesus being gangster, like, walking down the yeah, street that's one of, right? what's, what's What are the seven deadly sins? I feel like one of them is, uh, involves that, that realm of pride. That I've seen was, Shazam. That one, yeah, I pro- know some right? of pride. Them. That one would be yeah. pride, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I know, that's what this movie does great, right? Like, his temptations are not just, like, to escape this and not be the messiah and live a normal life his other temptation which they allude to is that like he can use these miracles to be a king and i think they say have every country or every or any country you want yeah rule the world yeah well and, and then even then when he's confronted by you know when he's arrested and brought to uh pontius saying like this isn't my kingdom like my kingdom you know alluding to heaven right yeah so, uh, you know, you guys mentioned that, like, end temptation. I kind of wanted to see, and I know the movie was already long, so maybe not, but... And it wouldn't have worked as well with, like, the trick of, like, does this really happen? But I'm curious to see the other side of the coin. If instead of, like, just becoming a commoner and living a normal life, what if he took his powers and did freaking like, become an emperor or something? That's well, that's exactly like in my I haven't watched this movie in a long time. So I remembered like that we'll call it the last temptation part, like after he's brought off the cross by the child. Like yeah. I remember that being much longer. And this this time like it I mean, it flew by. Mm. See, um, but Brian, and, that's not what he was tempted by. He was his, he was tempted by living a normal mm-hmm, life. Mm-hmm. No, you're and right. That's you're what right. he could never have. I mean, believe me, I want to see you know the apocalyptic version of you know, <laughs> evil Superman taking over the world more than anyone else. But you know, you're that's right. not what he was after. Those weren't his like wants. Yeah, it's it's funny because like the devil or like the depictions of Satan try to tempt him with the power thing and that's not what he falls for you're, you're absolutely right mike he falls for the opposite so the other uh foodie thing kind of relates to that oh that the apple when he's being in the circle yeah i mean relatedly so he goes in the desert and i don't know if you notice he is um he's uh what do you call it fasting himself yeah yeah and that's what lent 
technically we're in right now, guys. We're being Lentil. Well, I don't know. Oh, this is before Easter? Yes, we're still in Lent. Uh, I yes, gave up going outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how convenient. That's what Lent represents. And not to get all philosophical here, but like asceticism and just being like an ascetic is so instrumental to so many religions. Mike, let's talk Keanu Club. Let's talk, uh, what's that Keanu Reeves movie where he's Buddha? Oh, the Buddha one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's like all about Buddha just sitting under the tree and fasting for however many years that was, right? Yeah, it's not dissimilar. A lot of these uh, religions of the world that came out, you know, in ancient times have this related thread of going out into the wilderness, not eating, not having any possessions, and focusing on yourself. And I know that's opposite foodie films because it's fasting, but I still consider it a food scene, especially with the apple when he's tempted. Oh, yeah. I mean, isn't it kind of perfect at the end when we have, like, old man Jesus and he's talking to Harry Dean Stanton and pretty much Harry Dean Stanton explaining, like, this is going to happen either way, like, this version of you. And I think that's just, a. I I think as far as if you're going to watch a a scene of the movie that's, like, thematically involved into just, like, what religion is and what it ends up meaning to different people... Like or, or or how it's yeah well look what it meant to that character interpreted as right like that character goes from killing one of Jesus's miracles to spreading his word you know like yeah. that is the power right there kind of thing yeah and that's based on the Apostle Paul who if Paul like, Saul Paul yeah kind of yeah and if you like gun to the head of like a historian who's the most influential person in Christianity some people might not even say it's Jesus some people might say that it's Paul. Um, Paul never met Jesus, you know, according to the scripture. Paul was, though, a Jewish person who persecuted Christians and then had a conversion, which he mentions here. Even though here he's actually met Jesus and he's, like, trying to sabotage him earlier on than supposedly the Bible. But Paul represents exactly what you guys are saying. It's like, even if this is all true, a lot of people would just delete that part and accept the your message from before. Um so I thought that was an interesting like artistic license that probably the book, but definitely the movie took in ter- with this character. Yeah, I mean, I, there's just a lot of it's just interesting as far as just the some of the apostles or just some of these side characters. I mean, we get the great uh, director Irving Kirshner as Zebedee. Oh my yeah. god! Oh my god! In Empire you know, director Strikes of Back. Empi- the Empire Strikes Back. Wow. Oh, well, that. he was also, I mean, you guys probably know, like, Scorsese went to um, USC with, you know, uh, didn't, didn't he go to USC at some point? Or maybe not. Maybe I think he taught. He did teach there. Okay, because Irvin Kirshner was a teacher there, and that's mm-hmm. how he ended up directing. Oh, I'm sorry. That's I thought that's what you were asking. Oh, yeah. Irvin I wasn't Kirshner. sure if Scorsese went there with the gang, but he was definitely in no, with that Scorsese crew. Went to so, I mean, maybe... Yeah. You know, <laughs> Spielberg was like, "Hey, maybe Irvin should be in this movie." <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Irvin Kershner was a big mentor to a lot of those those guys that went to like USC and everything like that. So, I mean, yeah. By that point, I mean, Empire came out in eighty. This is eighty eight. So, you know, that's. I'm sure they definitely met. Um, also, Victor Argo, who plays Peter. I'm like. Boy, he's got like a like you know. I looked at his IMDb. I'm I'm like he's you know. At first, I'm like no, he's got such a. I recognize his voice, and he was in Taxi Driver. He's in the bodega scene when Travis kills the first guy. Oh, cool! 
<laughs> he's he's working behind the counter and nice. he hides it up for tra- Travis. So that that right there to me was just like, yep, okay, I'm getting it. Like just like what a small character he was in an early important, you know, you know, pretty like New York film of Scorsese's. And he's like, yeah, I'm gonna bring him in. He's gonna play Peter. So Which, um, I mean, I only recognize one other guy, and John Laurie is is one of the apostles too. I don't know if you know him, but I know him from like Jim Jarmusch movies, and like he's a super New Yorker as well. He had a great show called Fishing with John. Willem Dafoe's on an episode. Um, that's a great little series. So, yeah, that's the hmm. only other guy. I, I I noted to you guys while I was watching it, I was looking for Richard Dreyfus because I just feel like he would have fit in perfectly there. <laughs> but I hope he would have the glasses. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, because everybody else is being modern. Like, that's why I loved Harry Dean Stanton, too, because I expected an accent, and he starts talking. He just sounds like, you know, he always does. He's just like, (laughs) hey, you, like, hey, can I, Lazarus, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? (laughs) You can go from aliens to this to the Avengers. Like, you just fell out of the sky. (laughs) Like, (laughs) And and we haven't mentioned the actress who plays Mary Magdalene, but Mike, we just talked about her on Hoosiers, and that's Barbara Hershey. Oh, yeah, Bar- Barbara oh Hershey. my God, are you serious? Yeah, that's you, crazy. You, you tried to delete her from the film. So. No, what? What are you talking about? From Hoosiers, yeah. You said she was an unnecessary character. No, I think the point was that they sort of sidelined her by being a no. love interest. No, right? I know. Go back and listen to that episode, folks. Also, Ver- Verna Bloom, who plays you know Mary the Virgin, you know Jesus' mom, I I um I was like, boy, you know she also she looks familiar. I mean, she's in After Hours, but she's um the dean's wife in Animal House. Oh, okay, so, okay, okay. But, and that's a, a film I've watched at least a hundred times. And so early on, very is, different. <laughs> isn't um I thought I saw the neighbor from Home Alone, the old guy, but my might just be old guy bias. Like, he looks a lot like Irvin Kirshner too. And he, when Irvin Kirshner popped up later, I was like, is that the same? No. But the guy, when Jesus goes to like, he's walking around in the desert and the old man's like, hey, come and sit down here. Oh, and he's like, what's going oh, on? He's like, yeah, there's a funeral. And he's like, oh, okay. And the next morning they go to the funeral and Jesus is like, hey, that's the guy I saw last night. And they're like, he was like, dead. Like, you want to know something? What? You're right. Ooh. Oh, good call. 1990, he plays Marley in Home Alone. Excellent. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, He's also in Close Encounters, so he, you know, a Richard Drivers movie. You know where I oh, recognized okay. him from? I recognized him from a high school slumber party movie, Christine. He's actually in that. I was just going to say, yeah, he's also in Christine, That's 1983. Right. He sells Christine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, what a career. That's awesome. Um, Very cool. And then again, good eye, good eye. Before you mentioned Kyle Andre Gregory as John the Baptist, who I think is a great character here. Um, the story of John the Baptist is absolutely fascinating. We don't obviously go into it in this movie, but it's it, with Kirshner and John the Baptist. Sorry, Kirshner and what's his name, Andre Gregory. These are not traditional actors, right? These are like filmmakers that he's incorporating in his film because mm-hmm. wow like you know he's just like hey you'd be good for that role i'm gonna put you in there it makes it feel more like a student film or something like that like outside of the system and or independent on that level right where it's like i'm gonna have people you know like bowie was an actor but he didn't do mainstream films you know like this is the perfect role for a for bowie to do when as a cameo you know because he's perfect. off making the man who fell to earth which is super fucking weird and awesome but like <laughs> just you know not 
conventional in any sense of the way you know um very musical lyrical film but yeah so like having a guy like kirsch who's a director you don't need to give him he knows what he's doing there you know what I mean? like all these other guys that are just you know there for the day or whatever like they've got the experience you know we might not know they have the experience but they've got the experience scorsese wants you know on a production like this like you can't have people that don't know what you're doing you know or haven't worked before on on from what i understand on a production that was like pretty crazy like there's some crazy behind the scenes footage on the criterion disc and i'm not quite sure scorsese was done with his coke addiction yet because he's like (laughs) he is like nuts i mean it's wild like the conditions was that moroccan heat that's the other thing too like the conditions that they were filming under and stuff like yeah so you can't sort of wait around for people to you know get their shit together you need someone to come on set you know ready to go I think, I mean, he was filling it with people he could trust, people he was familiar with, maybe even people that, as far as what the roles represent, maybe reminded him a little bit, like, at least in his own life, like, what who the, who those people would be. That's, yeah. Um, what I love about John the know, Baptist, though, yeah. is, like, when he meets, when him and Jesus meet, it's almost like, I feel like Iron Man and Captain America meeting. It's like, it's almost like, <laughs> you're ready to do this shit? And it's like, oh, I have been ready, my, I've been waiting for you my whole life. Like, let's do this (laughs) which is just awesome um you know like john the baptist in his time and to a lot of people was considered to be the messiah like there's there's actually at the time more historical writing about john the baptist i believe than there is about jesus um it's well i can tell you as a kid i was very surprised to learn that uh being baptized like came from him and not from jesus you know like or from god or whatever like that that was a thing you know what I'm saying? Sort of separate and incorporated or something. Yeah, and he he lived his life like a true like ascetic, like, you know, out I don't know if it was as wild and hippie-ish as they depicted in this film, but like, you know, like with nothing, no worldly possessions. So it's um it's cool that a movie like this where I think someone who's not religious, maybe not even from like a Judeo Christian faith, could even watch this film and kind of get it in the little time that he's on screen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, you're, you're right. When they show up at John the Baptist's, like, river, I guess, for whatever, like, lack of a better <laughs> word, um, like, it's packed, you know? Like, it's crowded. Like, it's not like he's just, like, waiting just for Jesus. Like, it seems like, yeah, you know, back then, to be famous had to take a lot, right? And it seems like he was really famous already. So, to just, yeah, I think like about the, that. that was the... That was the Burning Man of its time. (laughs) But, like, you know, he was, like, a celebrity, right? And think of how hard that had to be, you know, back then before paper or whatever. I don't know. I mean, there were probably parchments and paper and stuff. But, you know, people were definitely still chiseling (laughs) on rocks and shit. Like, it's, you know, very, very long fucking time ago. Yeah, it alludes to the way he died in this. Um, Herod, who was the the king of Israel, a Roman puppet, but... His apparently, like, you know, according to, like, I guess the Bible or history or whatever, um, his wife became enamored with John the Baptist's celebrity and the fact that he was, like, getting so famous <laughs> that Ooh. Herod actually, this the term, like, bring you someone's head on a silver platter comes from this because oh. he, he had John the Baptist's head cut off and presented to either her or him on a silver platter. Wow. Amazing. Well, there you go. Another foodie scene. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So what did you guys, as far as watching it this time, did it have like a good pace to you? It's one of, um, I looked up, it's in Scorsese's top 10 longest films. As far as mm-hmm. that list goes, it's like right in the middle. Uh, um, it's actually tied It's tied with New York, New York, I don't, but it, on the list it was closer to being like number one. I don't, I guess because it's the story of Jesus, maybe they gave it extra bo- bonus points. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, how, how did it feel watching it this time? Did it have a good pace to it? I I just feel like I've been watching a lot of long movies recently in general for other podcasts for Tom Tom Club and and just you know personal life and stuff like I feel like I've just been on a long running time kick um and I got to tell you did not feel it like this movie to me maybe it's just because like I I get so into it like you know we explain in the opening just like you know how much we all like have sort of an affinity for this movie like I get giddy watching it you know and I kind of like don't watch it that often and cherish it when I do you know it's kind of like back to the future in that way like I kind of don't like to waste it and when I put it on I know that it's going to be you know sort of like this this ride like I know what I'm in for and stuff so Mm -hmm. Uh, this time though, it was like a breeze. Like, I feel like I could have watched it twice and I might go back and watch it because I think my copy has a, uh, I don't think they're watching the movie while they're talking about it, but it has a commentary with like Scorsese and a bunch of the actors and stuff. So, I mean, it might be compiled from interviews, but it's there. And so like, yeah, I would even go back and, and listen to that. So for me, this, what, two hours and 45 minutes, that was cool. It felt like 90 I uh, yeah, this, it yeah. wasn't too, too, yeah, it wasn't too crazy, um, for me. It is long, but <laughs> honestly, it sounds weird. But any movie that I see like in a desert, I'm assuming it's long. Name me a movie in a desert that's <laughs> short, you know. <laughs> so I knew what I was getting into, and it wasn't that bad. And especially, it really starts picking up pace. It's one of these like literally like slow build films. So that's why it didn't bother me as much. I don't think there was a part that really dragged. If anything, maybe the beginning, but you know, I was prepared for it. Yeah, once they're once they're on their journey and he's getting like we have like that montage kind of the crowd getting larger. The right stuff. Of... Oh, I love <laughs> exactly. that shit. Like I usually don't like this kind of music either. Um like it's sort of like reminded me of like that um what kind of became very popular after Gladiator, you know, a lot of that kind of thing. And again, I, the only re- word I have is new age, but like Phil Collins, you know, on his own orchestrating all of this, it just like, I felt like I was in a spa sometimes, but when <laughs> they're walking towards the screen in a group and it's like, it, it fits so well, like it just gives me, I don't know. It just like warms me up for some reason. Um, I, I know that both Brian and I have been to Morocco and while they were only, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, yours was only a day adventure as well, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Just did a day trip. Um, but I, at one point I did have planned and I, I still plan on doing it, going out and doing like a camel excursion into the desert. And by all means, I will be listening to the soundtrack. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, um, it did. It did. It did. At one point, I just expected to hear like Lion King lyrics. You know, like, like it just kind of had that weird vibe to me, and I, I, and that's part of the charm at this point for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything else that you guys would like to say about the Last Temptation of Christ? I mean, we didn't even talk about his crucifixion, but that's fine. You know, um, it was a well, okay. pretty bloody depiction of the crucifixion, but that's. Again, I want that because crucifixions are 
bloody affairs. So, I mean, that's all. <laughs> I was that- actually surprised. I don't remember it being so gruesome. Um, like, you know, I don't know if you guys ever watched Passion of the Christ. I actually went to the theaters just the one time I did see it just out of curiosity and that is like a snuff film like uh, <laughs> Jesus is literally you could like see his fucking bones like while he's hanging on the cross because the flesh has been yeah. ripped apart like this I, I've, is I've just never the... watched it I've never had an interest in watching it yeah I would never rewatch it but like it's just my buddy and I was just let's, let's just check it out um, but this is I feel like the like the like right above the right amount like it, it's just you know it's just like right over because the way like it's streaming down his face and his chest as if it's all coming from the crown and everything is great like his wrists are really brutal like i feel like it's you know right above what you usually see him being depicted as on the cross you know which is mostly clean but a little like some drops here and there so i think this is like just the right amount to show yeah i mean in that sense i mean in the beginning when he's you know bringing up the, uh, like the cross piece, uh, after he built it. And then at the end when he's being crucified himself, yeah, it's definitely a bloody, I mean, they, you know, it's pretty mortifying and I mean, makes you really think about just that being something that was being done back then. And, and his decision at the end saying that like, he wants to go back onto the, you know, onto the cross and die for people's sins, you know, be- begging his father to do that to him. And, and at the end, just smiling and, and, and yelling out loud, you know, it is accomplished and recognizing that he is dying for their sins. So it's, I mean, it definitely, I mean, there, I feel like there aren't too many, I mean, I feel like there aren't that many movies these days that go into that realm, except if it's <laughs> like a Marvel movie or whatever, but this truly is like, uh, uh, you know, a hero's journey and just that, that whole Greek ta- you know, tales that we would use to get. I mean, yeah, one of the, uh, I believe Genesis of the Joseph Campbell hero's journey is the story of Jesus. And whether it is one of the things that comes from that, or is it, the reason that it translates to so many people it's related to like it's one of the cornerstones of that theory this is though well, it's highlighted here more because so in the bible he is tempted there is something called the last temptation of christ and he's on the cross and he's like saying yeah i'm not a biblical scholar or anything but he's saying something along the lines like why me why am i here you know this book and this movie is based on literally like one or two lines in the bible like what was he thinking at that point you know <laughs> yes that. That's yeah amazing. it's a deep yeah yeah exactly some you know this the author of that book you know n- knew that you know had read that or heard that and said "Ooh, that that's interesting like let's grow upon that idea what was he thinking you know what's kind you know what's really cool about that for me is i take it all in as like part of his canon okay and it's sort of like what have you heard about what what can we cobble together and it's not just from the written thing but from stories you know passed down like you were saying brian sort of like the legends are are being sort of more just uh translated here than the truths or closer to what might be the truth, right? Like, uh, i.e. Mary Magdalene, right, being a prostitute, right? There's nothing that necessarily points towards that, but the movie says she is because history, you know, has deemed it so or whatever, right? And so I love that this movie now says, hey, you know those two lines in the Bible? What if they're about this? 
Like, what if this is what that means? And now there Mm -hmm. can be this whole new sort of discussion, right? Because where I'm going to come in on this is like, how great would it have been? I mean, we'll never know. And it's probably not this movie, but one interpretation I was coming to was, you know, maybe God told the devil to go fuck with Jesus one more time on the cross, you know? I mean, sure, the devil said, I'll see you again, you know, or I'll see you one day, but we don't know that that wasn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, just more incentive and just another extra nudge to get Christ to do what he needed to do or something like, you know? So I, I love how it, like, and respectfully in a lot of ways, like, builds on uh, what came before it, you know? And I don't think that it should stop, you know what I'm saying? And that's why I love different interpretations of certain characters and people in history and stuff. Yeah. For, for a non-practicing Catholic, I mean, I'm only going to call myself like a Catholic, but as someone, you know, that that's what my family's, uh, you know, what, what they used to practice or whatever. But point being, I, I think, I mean, definitely this story telling it this way, I think what he then you know, sacrifice himself for resonated with me better than anything I've learned of before. So, you know, that's, I, I was just, this is Scorsese's interpretation of, of that, of this book and that, and that story. Like it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, I would never, I've never really hung religious symbolism in my house or anything like that. Like I'm into tattoos, but I'd never, you know, a very famous tattoo is like Jesus or the, the heart, him, the bleeding hardest. I would never do anything like that, but like, I would hang a picture of the willing the the Jesus that Willem Dafoe depicts because that's sort of the one that I would believe in, you know, like that's the version that I buy right now. It feels like the uni- it feels more universal on on that to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in the end, I mean, the most truthful I think adaptation is the Da Vinci Code, <laughs> most likely, or Superman. You know, Jesus <laughs> came from space. That whole idea. <laughs> One a food related. I mean, I ask this in my gut instinct segment, but I'll ask this kind of uh, interpret it as you will. Your last suppers. What's Ooh. going on there? Where are you? What are you having? Who are you surrounded by? Yeah. Uh, so uh, we talked about this a little <laughs> off air, Kyle. And to be clear, it's like it's not my last meal in terms of we're like alone in the prison. It's like we can have people we want, right? Yeah. Correct. Okay. So Mike, you can go first. Oh wow. This is this is um this is a tricky one to spring on on me. What are you um, what are you telling people? What's you what are you sharing? Strychnine alone two weeks from now? No. I'm just, <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding, guys. It's not that bad. Man, he's, you know, t- your final testament <laughs> on foodie films. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's a that's a hard question, man. That's to answer seriously. Hmm. Hmm. That's that's that, that's fine. I know it's. I mean, sometimes also just even my regular. Well, you guys, are... I'd want you guys there for sure. You know, like well, definitely. Thank you. you know, it'd well, have to be you. that. I would definitely. I can't you know, say the same. <laughs> I, I would want to Jesus it up in that regard. Like, I need my closest friends around. Um, do they know? Like, it's my last meal too. Like, there's so many like. I have so well, many who's questions. betraying? Like, what they am don't I dying know. Of? Like, <laughs> they don't know, but you could make allusions to it, like Jesus. Mm, right, you know, you right, can't like, say directly, but you could. It's <laughs> just sort of like you're not. You might not ever see me again, but I, you know, might necessarily not be dead, even though I'm about to die. Yeah, like yeah. Bilbo Baggins kind of has one in Lord of the Rings. He ends up dying, but you know he. Oh yeah, yeah. He has his 111th like big yeah. party kind of thing. Like, yeah, man. I mean, like, it like that. I, 
I would definitely have to throw like some kind of big barbecue probably i think that's what i would do i would just go out like in a big barbecue and you know have all kinds of grill grilled stuff burger keep it simple with like burgers and and dogs and some chicken and maybe a kebab or two or something but like nothing out of control um corn maybe we'll get that crazy we'll put some corn on there and (laughs) lots of chips but yeah i think that would that would you know i'd I'm so simple in that way. Like that would satisfy me. I, I and, what, and what are those? And what are those drinks called? Um, oh, and nutcrackers. Nutcrackers. Yeah, I always plenty. want to say firecracker. There would be plenty of nutcrackers. <laughs> plenty of nutcrackers to go around. <laughs> plenty of nutcrackers. I love it. Um, I think I would have something similar to my wedding. I want to have all those people in there. I know it's a lot, but. Oh, I'd get a second. I get a redo of your wedding. Yeah, Mike would no. <laughs> yeah, Mike would leave early again. That would be. You won't go toe to toe with Joe too on the drinks because that's never. Never. And this is just you know public service announcement. Health tip: Never go toe to toe with Joe too on anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no. But I, I would have the setting different. Maybe, maybe at a vineyard. You know, <laughs> something like how I re- would have originally wanted. I don't want everyone to be in white or anything like that, but I, I would like some kind of cohesion, some kind of theme, if you will. Maybe like a, or maybe I should, Mikhail, maybe you would, maybe like an eyes wide shut kind of party. Is that what you were Wait, thinking? what? <laughs> <laughs> What's no. on the menu? What's not on the menu? We'll have some. <laughs> in, in terms of food, though, I kind of like where you're going with Mike uh, for the barbecue, but I'll, I'll do something different. For the Masters every year, the golf tournament, the previous champion gets to host next year's dinner, and they get to pick whatever food they want. If oh. they say if they say they want McDonald's, it's McDonald's, and it's not no one's ever gone McDonald's, but some people have gone like we're doing chicken wings this year, and some people go like we're having a fancy French feast. So I'm taking it as something like that, and I would do kind of hmm, it would either be like food from Spain or food from Latin America. I was going to say, I, I feel like there's a suckling pig there. There would be a suckling pig there, that's for sure. It would be kind <laughs> of, it would be Latin American infused, but it would be Spanish style in terms of tapas mm. and and drinks overflowing, sangria bar, but also gin and tonics. Like, I, I want a happy atmosphere where we're all picking, like, more of a cocktail hour style, if that makes sense. But the suckling yeah. pig would be there, but you could take, it would almost be like carving station style. You could take pieces from it. Yeah. We're not all sitting down. I want to be all moving and talking. I love it. Yeah, there was there was a very there wasn't there there was a goat at one point, very just like the head on, all the skin off, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a lot of uh, again, being a historical nerd here, a lot of rams heads, because you know traditionally for Passover you put the blood of a ram on your door yeah, on your doorway. Yeah, so that's why you saw all that because Jesus was crucified during passover gotcha well um i mean i guess all i have to say is it is accomplished <laughs> this movie this is my version of being on the cross doing this episode no, I'm kidding. This is a horrible comparison i thought it, um, I thought it went pretty well i mean for you know, no i think it went very theologians. well it's not like you know we could you could have you could be on john brooks's new show and do this all over again and like i'm sure <laughs> It'll be super much more enlightening and everything, but this was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got a lot out of my system today. I got to tell you guys. No, this this is a movie that we always 
reference, talk about, and I think we also looked at it as how are we going to talk about this on any of our podcasts? And it kind of just <laughs> right, yeah. This was then a fell into cheat. my category, a, mm-hmm. the closest, maybe. Yeah, it's a bit of a cheat, but like I've got cheatier things up my sleeves over on my podcast. Like you know, <laughs> I might you know just in order to talk about one thing, there's something else I'm going to have to you know that kind of situation, but. We'll see if it ever well, comes to pass, but <laughs> well, we mentioned superheroes a few times in this episode, talking of uh, the Last Temptation. But I, I, this is—I think this is a fun, more you know, light-hearted scene to talk about uh, from Superman to the diner. His when when he goes back once he has his powers again, and this is the great Christopher Reeves oh, portrayal yeah. of Superman. So let's play that scene right now and just talk about that. All right, Ron. Yeah? Give me another plate of this garbage. Garbage? That's my number one special, Rocky. All right, eh? There's more coffee, too, eh? Gee, that's funny. I've never seen garbage eat garbage before. Um, excuse me, sir. I think you're sitting in my favorite seat. Come and get it for us. Now cool it, Rocky. Take it easy, will you? I just had this joint fixed. It cost me a fortune. orders to go. I'm uh, terribly sorry about all the damage, sir. Oh, I've been uh, working out. Gee, I've never seen garbage eat garbage before. (laughs) That, as a kid, always stuck with me because I grew up on these... The Christopher Reeve Superman movies and Superman Two is just that the final fight in Manhattan or in Metropolis, almost in Manhattan. The final fight between the three crypto, the Kryptonians is just like when you're like six years old, like it's mind blowing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So like I always love this movie. I always love that scene um, because it's it's um, you don't usually see this with Superman, okay? Like he get he loses his power spoiler alert but for superman 2 he gives up his powers halfway through the movie him and lois try to lead a normal life he goes to this diner and this guy just like straight up kicks his ass and tries to steal lois from him <laughs> and the only reason that he doesn't is because like the president comes on tv and says they've been invaded by general zod and then at the end of the movie when Superman gets his powers back, he makes a point of teaching this guy a fucking lesson, you know? And he goes back to the <laughs> diner, and he tries to pick a fight with the dude, and he does, and and he kicks his ass. And it's, like, perfect. Like, you know, it's just, like, the right amount of comedic violence. It's, you know, it's yeah. just about I... Bugs Bunny. And I just <laughs> always loved the tone of it. I always thought it was... Um, 
you know, one of those great sort of uh, ending sort of uh, wrap ups, you know, it just wraps it all up perfectly and stuff. And, and it's such a great character moment for not Clark, but for Superman to say, like, you know, uh, you know, this guy's a jerk. And like, sometimes you have to, you know, you have you can't just do the big work. Sometimes you have to go down and teach this guy a lesson. You know, sometimes you have to save the whole world. So I just always yeah, loved it. it. It's funny to me. I mean, Superman definitely, like, in the comic book world, like, the very Jesus-like. Um, and so in this, I love he's keeping his nerdy ruse as, like, Clark Kent going, the way he enters the diner and is talking to him, um, but then beats him up in a fashion that of only, you know, spinning him in the chair. Yeah, only <laughs> Superman could. All the way. Yeah. Yeah, that only Superman could. So also, this is very similar, I think, just like, this is how you said before, we were saying before, um, we love Jesus showing off in The Last Temptation. Yes. Like, I'm turning, you know, water into wine right now. This is just like him going in. And then what he says to the diner owner, like, oh, I've been pumping, you know, some iron or whatever. Yeah, it's one of those <laughs> just... great situations. It's almost like, I almost feel like Jesus did this too, where he's like, I'm going to blow everyone's mind. Like, no one's even going to believe it if someone told them what happened right now, you know? And like, that's what happened at yeah. the wedding. And, you know, unfortunately, word did kind of spread about that. But like, I don't think like these guys are, you know, no one is ever going to believe that Superman walked into a diner and did this shit, you know? So it's like the perfect cover. It's like, the one one of the few chances he could ever do something like this. What a great time before cell phone cameras. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Man <laughs> of Steel couldn't get away with this. Zack Schneider version. He would just like break this dude's fucking head in two seconds. <laughs> Brian, anything to say in, the, in this? I know the next scene is definitely more your um, forte. No, it's just, wa- it's just wacky stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just wacky stuff. The lighting is interesting. Brian Rodriguez. The music is great. I love the little music. Um... <laughs> well, another scene, and like I said earlier, there's not that many Easter movies. There's not that many even like Easter scenes, I feel like. So I was happy to, when you know, when I was Googling, trying to find scenes, I was happy to see and remember that there's that scene in Annie Hall where he goes to meet the Halls for the first time. That is, you know, Woody Allen's character. Uh, Alvy, right? And Alvy Singer. Singer. <laughs> Singer. <laughs> so let's quick play that scene and we'll talk about it. It's a nice ham this year, Mom. Oh, yeah. Grammy always does such a good job. Great sauce. It is. It's dynamite ham. We went over to the swap meet. Annie, Graham, and I got some nice picture frames. We really had a good time. Anne tells us that you've been seeing a psychiatrist for 15 years. <coughs> yes, I'm making excellent progress. Pretty soon when I lie down on his couch, I won't have to wear the lobster bib. Dwayne and I went out to the boat basin. We were caulking holes all day. Yeah. And Randolph Hunt was drunk, as usual. Oh, that Randolph Hunt. You remember Randy Hunt, Annie? He was in the choir with you. Oh, yes. I can't believe this family. Annie's mother is really beautiful. And they're talking swap meets and boat basins. And the old lady at the end of the table <clears throat> is a classic Jew hater. 
and uh, they, they, they really look American, you know, very healthy. They're, like, they never get sick or anything. Nothing like my family. You know, the two are like oil and water. Ah, let him drive there. Who needs this business? His wife has diabetes. Diabetes? Jack Adams is the new president. Diabetes? Let me tell you, a man is 50 years old and doesn't have a substantial job. Is that a reason to steal? Oh, yes, that's right. What are you talking about? You know what you're talking about. Sure, defend him. Oh, you remember her, We're in 4-H. Mo Moscow, he had a coronary. You don't how do you plan to spend the holidays, Mrs. Singer? We fast. Fast? You know, no food. You know, to atone for our sins. What sins? I don't understand. Tell you the truth, neither do we. I love that scene because it's apparently based on Woody Allen actually meeting Diane Keaton's family. I don't think. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think he turned into a rabbi or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, yeah, I've never heard that. But yeah, yeah um, I, I, at least how he felt. That's what I sure. heard, because um, they dated a little bit before the film. They weren't dating, I don't think, during the film. But her name was Diane Hall. That's her real name. So, oh, I never knew. Never, never even knew that. Wow. Yeah, he, he wrote the entire film with her in mind. Not a hundred percent. I remember there was this funny interview with her on, I think it was the Daily Show. Yeah, with John Stewart, like way back when, and. He was like, when, when I was like kid, I saw that you were dating Woody Allen, and I got so excited because like a beautiful woman like you could date a guy like me, and then <laughs> you guys broke up, and then you started dating Warren Beatty, and, oh. <laughs> and I realized I had no shot. <laughs> it just always makes me think of that. It's just such a great scene, but it's a great scene because I know it's taboo these days, but it's an awesome film. And it makes me think of just the brother, uh, again, the aforementioned Christopher Walken. Yeah. <laughs> but there's that uh, there's that later scene in the bedroom. Yeah, it's uh, just <laughs> the bedroom and then him driving in the car. <laughs> so good. Just, but just, <laughs> I, I love the simple dialogue, like in the, in the scene, just like, oh, you know, nice ham this year, mom. And just then, obviously, Woody Allen commenting on that and, you know, saying that Grammy Hall is just a classic Jew hater and, her, you know, <laughs> him looking in all like Hasidic garb. Um, yeah, well, this. And then just even, yeah. This, this, uh, like Woody Allen's like brand of humor and stuff was like very much in line with like the National Lampoons and stuff, which eventually sort of transitioned into a lot of The Simpsons, you know, which is now like sort of standard kind of comedy, which is like things like that where you know he turns into the rabbi, you know, because we see through a different character's perspective for a minute, or how he describes his family and they shove themselves into like more than half of the frame of the of what we're watching, right? Like. Like mm-hmm. these are great. These these are great visual gags and stuff like that. And so nowadays they feel like I couldn't imagine back then. Like I'm sure a lot of people. I mean, this movie was very well received as far as I, you know, as far as I know. But this was probably such like regarded as such sophisticated humor at the time. Like I can't even imagine you know watching it for the first time in that context. You know, without having seen something like The Simpsons or The Family Guy. Definitely. I mean, you just get that great line too about when he when uh, the mom says like, "Oh, we hear you're going to." Uh, what did she say? A therapist or a psychiatrist? Analyst, maybe. But, is it? I think uh, an- analyst yeah, is just what like, they yeah, use pre- in the film. And, you know, pretty soon, uh, 
I, w- I won't have to wear the lobster bib. <laughs> <laughs> just like that self-deprecating, but just like very odd, like, you know, just... There's a lot of lobsters in Annie Hall, right? There's a big famous yeah. foodie lobster scene. And also, I mean, hey, for a scene including, I mean, being a, a Jewish man, having the ham and then mentioning sh- shellfish, very, yeah. Yeah, and he's oh, not yeah. keeping kosher. Not keeping kosher. Not being kosher. Do you guys have any, with with your families, with Easter, do you have um, any traditional dishes, just like meals you know you're going to have at that time of year, or this time of year, I should say? Uh, so it's funny, like, for over, like, a decade, our family, like, went to the same place for, like, an oh. Easter brunch. Uh, and it was really great. And, um, you know, I... I Definitely not going to do that this year, but like um, <laughs> I haven't really done that in a couple of years. I've just sort of lately gone to um, like a family member's house and just like done something there. But like, yeah, for like a really long time, like I've, I was going through all these old family photos and stuff like that. And I just see like my nieces and nephews like growing up at Easter, <laughs> you know, from <laughs> one year to the next. So. They rose. They did. They rose. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know if I have like necessarily a big tradition. I think we'll just go over to my aunt's house and my grandmother's house, um, eat some good food. Oh, for ye- you'll like this, Kyle. For years, not in the, like the last ten years, but like I would say, like growing up until like at least college, the big Easter meal for us was paella. We wouldn't make paella. We, there was a rest. There was a restaurant in Queens that made the paella. So someone would go, and I would, you know tag along with the uncle or whoever was tasked to pick pick up the paella and pick up these big trays of paella and bring them home and oh so good so good we should do that again i, I can't i just remembered that paella is amazing i'm sorry it is <laughs> well i got a paella pan for christmas you so did I have to learn i have to learn how to make paella make paella for one <laughs> one of the best paellas i ever had was actually in barcelona and it was a black was ink. where Barcelona, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> was a black ink paella, so instead of the... Oh, I had one this past summer in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so instead of the, the yellow saffron seasoning, they use black squid ink. And you would think that would taste nasty, but it doesn't taste like pen ink. It was delicious. So, paella, awesome. Boy, I, I like I like that. I'm, I'm very... I am like the halls. It's a lot of ham. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Uh yeah, not not too many and there you know, rum ham like maybe no. rum ham. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, I mean like when you know, when I was a kid there was obviously like chocolate and peeps involved and that kind of stuff. But uh no more. Well, um I don't I don't really have any specific oh. way, you know, there's not, not usually uh you know, you guys know how it goes. I have some like questions. I've oh wait, wait, wait! Before you sign off, oh. can I, can I, can I just yeah. bring one last thing up because we are on f- 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 foodie films with with Kyle, like chocolate at Easter. When the fuck did this happen? Because like it happened before I was born. I'll tell you that much. Like Easter, getting okay. Easter baskets and all that shit. But like, why? Like, I, and it's not like I even mind it, but it's just so quizzical. Like. When and what's with the chocolate bunnies? And does anybody, you know, do either well, of the you... bunnies are a representation of like springtime? Yeah, I, I okay, maybe the bunny symbolism, I get that, but like, what's with all the chocolate? It's crazy to me, it just feels like a little 
strange. I don't know. Always did. I mean, it definitely falls into that category of just like becoming commercialized and that, I feel like. I mean, but it's not, Brian, I mean, do you I don't know see, anything that neither of us do? I don't see like chocolate, maybe there are, but I don't see it in the way that there's like chocolate leprechauns or like, you know, whatever, like chocolate. That's because there's beer, sandals, Michael, beer for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, I guess, but I don't know. <laughs> so like just before, before we left, I mean, that jumped into, I had to just bring that up and get that off my head. I, I just always, you know, obviously as a kid, I never mind getting chocolate, but like it always just, you know, it was just one of the life's great mysteries. Like, why is that associated with this? Well, you know what? I mean, Brian gives um, homework on his podcast. I'll give homework to myself, <laughs> and I'll do some research, and I'll include it in the cold open for Ooh, this episode. Nice, cool. nice. So I'll, write, I'll, write, I'll write that down right now. Find out about chocolate. Kyle, <laughs> what year did your mom stop making you Easter baskets? I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> it's funny because we just were watching Road to Perdition and our guest on there, Jess, was like, yeah, I got this movie in an Easter basket. <laughs> it's like, we're <laughs> talking about Easter baskets. <laughs> well, let us know what's in your Easter basket this year, Kyle. And, you know, it's always a pleasure being on this podcast. Really appreciate you having me on. And Listen to Brian signing himself off. <laughs> that's what this sounds like. Because <laughs> I want to make sure that stays in. So you, that's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, I gotta tell it you, it's the last you know, time I, you on, I mean, being on your show. <laughs> no, no, so but I'm saying, like, I'm so happy to get to talk about this film, and it met my expectations. So, thank you guys so much for that. <laughs> if only they made a sequel and then a part three. I mean, I could see a sequel. I mean, there's definitely juice for the for his second coming. But like, what do you do for part three? Uh, well, no, maybe the rapture. The, maybe in the third film, he rises again. Well, it would be modern day, right? It's the rapture, ultimately, I guess. I'm pretty like, sure Kirk, Kirk Cameron is in some of those films about modern day Jesus. Or Seth Rogen. I mean. <laughs> well, guys, right now, please promote uh, any, obviously, podcasts that you're on, or just any, promote anything you want. Say anything you want. Um, okay, so this there's a rumor going around that this is my last year of doing Third Time's a Charm, so make sure you listen to all the past episodes and... Uh, I just released an episode this month with horror consultant Dan Cologne, not my, um, you know, uh, part-time co-host, Brian Rodriguez. Sorry, Brian. Get you on next month. But it's Friday the 13th, part 3D. So go check that out. We talk about Crystal Lake, not just Camp Crystal Lake, but all the surrounding houses uh, that seem to be there as well. And Jason's crazy antics, and he gets the hockey mask in that one. So it's, like, very relevant. It's very sort of, um, you know... It might not be the best Friday the 13th, but it's like a very important one for that and other reasons and stuff. So definitely check that out. And then I just, I'll just mentioned earlier, TomTom uh, Tom Club, where me and Joey, the pod godfather, um, it, we go through the careers of Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks every other Saturday on thank, Hanks for the Memories and Cruise Club. Fridays are for fun. Fridays are for fun. Handing it off to you, Bri. Ooh, speaking of Fridays, another show that airs on Fridays is High School Slumber Party, my show, um, where we talk about high school films. Both of you guys have been on a ton of times. What what day does this come out? I know you said right before Easter, but I don't remember what day Easter is. Uh, the 8th this comes out. Oh, wow. So Easter soon. That's great. Wait, really? Yeah, because isn't I Easter like the 11th? Easter's the 12th. Okay. Wow. So, okay. So Easter being the 12th, then... I'm actually during this crisis releasing twice a week now because Whoa. I ha- yes I have. So the what time. other day is for fun? 
Well, Mondays aren't as fun. Well, they they should be. <laughs> but I'm calling Monday my study session. You know, oh. Gearing you up for the rest of the week. We released this Monday the film The Way... Sorry, last Monday, The Way Back with Ben Affleck. Uh, Joey was on that podcast. Oh, not The Way Way Back, which I was on with Joey. No, the not back. The Way Way Back. Just The Way Back. Okay. Uh, but you were brought up a lot on that podcast, Mike, because you... Oh, I gotta, jo- I gotta hear it. Yeah, you and Joey were going to start a Ben off back... back. Sorry, Ben Affleck podcast at one point. Correct. So I have that, that box that w- of Ben still in the basement. <laughs> that was talked about. That was mentioned. Yeah, it's real. Episode. It's fucking real. <laughs> but uh, right before the Monday before this comes out, Kyle is the episode you're on with Christian Larson, The Substitute. Ooh. So oh, okay. That was Beringer. fun. Tom Berenger is a substitute teacher in, in Miami. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and oh boy. He's an ex Marine and it's a pretty awesome film. That was a blast to record. And then That was a happy surprise. That was a happy surprise. I was excited. <laughs> but this Friday is a big one. One of the maybe top twenty five, maybe even top ten to some people, high school films of all time. We're doing Dazed and Confused. So you Whoa, definitely want to check that nice. out. Awesome. And Who's this month My guest is Matt Delhauer. Um He's another guy who went to oh, Rail okay. I don't. Do you know him, Mike? I know Kyle. You yeah, we've me. we've had him on uh, over uh, oh, okay. Cage Club. Gotcha, gotcha. No, he's a great guest, and he brought such awesome insight. And that's a film that I hadn't seen in a while, and whew, it, it it holds up. We'll put it that way. And we're gonna have you know a bunch of other things Monday and Friday, probably through the next two months. But who knows? And both of you guys will be back on. I have a feeling in the next two months. That's for sure. Guys, I don't know if I ever did my Matthew McConaughey impression, but if he was from New York instead of the South. Uh, it goes a little uh. like this. It goes, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I haven't told so that joke okay, since... Okay, okay. I haven't told that joke since Now and Again, Volume 4, when I was on with Chris Mattiello on that show. <laughs> well, I'm glad you re-debuted it here. Well, Dazed and Confused made me think of it. I apologize. I'm a little, <laughs> little loopy over here tonight. Obviously, you guys know how. I mean, Brian, you were just you were just on it two weeks ago. So, Manzi, you you want to say the uh, the final line? There's always more to cut. It's not. There's always oh, more. Oh, so just, just there's more to cut. To cut. Get back on the cross. Let me, let me do this again. <laughs> let me rewind. Re- re- no, no, no. Re- I like rewind. this. There's more to cut. There's more to cut. There's more to cut. Okay, and now say it like Kaitel. There's more to cut, Jesus, than crosses. There's tables and benches, too. That's not quite as good. (laughs) (laughs) Yummy, 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 I got love in my tummy, and I feel like I'm loving you. Love you such a sweet.